just to put into context where we are with Anna, um, Jesus, as a young, young boy, has been brought to the temple. Um, and there's a time of, of cleansing, not, uh, not that Jesus needed to be cleansed, but more so for his parents. It's, it's a time of, of, of dedication as well. And Jesus is brought to the temple we see a man, a prophet named Simeon. Um, and Simeon had been waiting for Jesus to come. And he notices Jesus as soon as he comes into the temple. Like he immediately recognizes him. And he had been promised through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, that he would see the Messiah. And this is the day. This is the day that it happens. And as he is beholding the Messiah... And he is singing praise as he sees the Messiah. Anna comes up. And, and she knows, she knows that it had been promised to Simeon, I'm quite sure, that he would see Jesus. And that she was kind of sticking around as long as he stuck around, you know, that she could see Jesus as well. And she comes right here into the picture. So that's, that's where we pick up. Like, this is the most important day of their lives. And what I want us to do, I want us to answer this question I want you to answer this question today based on the text and based on what is preached today. Are you filled with joy? Are you filled with joy? Because I believe that Anna was. For the way she lived her life, I mean, she had to have joy. And we're going to further break that down today. And so we're looking in Luke chapter 2, again in verse 36 through 38. And Anna was a prophetess. And, And we're not used to that terminology here at Perimeter Road prophets and prophetess. Uh, today, we hold that the Word of God is, is the spoken Word. It's the Word that we teach from. Um, so we do not appoint prophets or prophetess to go speak another word. Um, we proclaim. We see that a prophet is to proclaim truth and, and to do so boldly and to take God's Word. So that's where we, as a local church, that's where we as Southern Baptists, that's where we stand when it comes to prophet and prophetess. But at this time, the New Testament had not been written. I mean, it was, it was being lived out. And so Anna was a prophetess. So she, she was able to meet with the Lord. She was able to receive a word from the Lord. And then she was able to go teach. So there were actual people that were under her teaching as well. And so this is Anna. She was a prophetess. She wasn't the only prophetess that we see mentioned in Scripture. In fact, there are quite a few. Miriam, who's mentioned in Exodus 15. Deborah in Judges chapter 4. Huldah mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 22. Noadiah mentioned in Nehemiah 6.14. The wife of Isaiah as well in Isaiah chapter 8. And then Philip, the evangelist, had four daughters who were prophetess um, in Acts chapter 21. So you can go and further read about these ladies who faithfully served the Lord in the time in which they were called. And Anna's name, her name meant grace. And so we see a picture of God's grace in the story of her life. Uh, every detail, I believe there's a reason. I think we have to be careful not to, uh, not to dissect too much sometimes. But when we look at this, we look at her name and we see that her name meant grace. And that the grace of God was upon her. She was the daughter of Phanuel. And his name meant the face of God. So if you want to go back and read in Genesis chapter 32 verse 30, the greatest wrestling match that we see where uh, Jacob wrestled with the Lord, okay, and lost, by the way, just to let you know if you're wondering. Um, But Jacob, 32, and there meeting with the Lord, the the face of God, 
that, that word Faneuil, that's what it means. And so her dad's name meant the face of God. And so Anna, who's filled with God's grace, is meeting with the Lord daily in the temple and to seek the face of God. And now here she is walking up and she sees God's face in the babe of Jesus, the child of Jesus. Just a beautiful picture, culmination of all things coming together in her life. So what I want to say from the very beginning is that Anna did not waste her life. She didn't waste her life. I know we're all concerned with it at times. Am I wasting my life? Am I wasting my time? What I'm doing here, being here this morning, am I wasting my time? Is it worth my time? We measure things by time. She wasn't wasting her time. No, all of this is coming together for a great purpose. And she was of the tribe of Asher. And it's interesting that she mentions this um, as Asher was one of the 10 northern tribes because in this day and time, they really didn't trace back their lineages to tribes, uh, to the 12 different tribes. But it shows that she took care of her lineage and and how she was passed down through the ranks to see uh, when the time of, of Christ and just waiting for the time of Christ to come, which they didn't know when he would come. And at this time, she beholds Christ. And so there's a focus here in this one paragraph. And so let's just be clear on this as well. This is one paragraph of her life. So what if we were to write just a paragraph about you and then centuries later read it? We would have very few details, but from the details that we have, that's what we're basing this message off today. This one paragraph of Anna's life, okay, of who she was, where she'd been, and and what she was now beholding at once. So there's a focus on her age and a single-minded devotion to God. You know, she was 84 years of age, or she could have been 104 years of age. You say, well, here in the ESV, it says 84, but when you go back and you you study this, it, it means that either she was 84 years of age or she had been a widow for 84 years. So either way, 84 to 104, there's a focus on her age that through a great deal of time, whether it was 64 years or 84 years that she was a widow, she had spent that time with the Lord day in and day out. She was a true widow. What do I mean by a true widow? Let's look in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 5 and 6, and you can also see it up on the screens. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. I mean, as this is being written, as Paul is writing this to Timothy, he should have might as well said, Anna, because that's what Anna was doing. I mean, she put all of her hope on God, and she continued in prayer and supplications night and day. She didn't quit. She had a purpose to the very end of her life. And yet from a young age, she experienced such tragedy. But she could have lived her life this way in in verse 6. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So even while she still has a beating heart, she might as well be pronounced dead because she's indulgent. Everything is about her. It's been, it's been brought in to her, her seeking happiness. And we'll see that happiness is, is how that can be selfish when we seek happiness over joy, which can be glorifying to God. So what happened in her 
young life. You know, she wasn't always old. You know, it's hard for those who are young to look at their grandparents and go, wow, you were once young just like me. You know, you look at pictures, wow, that's you. You know, and and for Anna, we see that she's older, but there was a time when she was young, when she was probably thriving with beauty and excitement, the excitement of being married, having a husband, having a family, having a future. I'm sure that's something that Anna had in her heart, that she treasured in her heart. You know, she was probably uh, married around the age of 12 to 14, somewhere around there. Can you imagine? Let me see your 12-year-olds 12, 12 to 14-year-olds. Raise your hand in the room, okay? All right, yeah, so that's, that's just crazy. But that's how young they were. They, they were arranged marriages. You know, they didn't go to the marketplace um, to, to meet up. You know, they, it's not like they met in school and said, hey, I like you, you like me, check yes or no. Okay, let's, let's be an item. Let's get married at age 12 to 14. No, all of this was arranged. They, you know, they didn't have the internet back then, so they couldn't meet that way either. And, and, and so, I mean, this was all arranged for her. She had her a husband. She got married. And they were married for seven years. And, you know, we don't have the details of that marriage, if it was a thriving marriage, if she loved being married. But we know that for seven years of, of her young life, she was, she was married. And then her husband died. And we're not given the details of, of how he died. I mean, we don't know if it was tragic, if it was all of a sudden, or, or if he was sick for some time period. And then he passed, that she was there by his side day after day after day, or she just got the news from some friends or family or either she woke up the next morning and there he was. We don't know their age difference, what it could have been. And so we don't have the details of how he died, but we know that she was left a widow probably at the age of, let's say, 20, 19, 20 years old. What would she do then? See, so she had to face this in her life. This was real. Like, this is a, a real girl who lived in a real time period, and, you know, we like to look at the Bible and go, oh, well, this is that's how she was supposed to respond. You know, for, for the rest of her life, she was just supposed to go pray in the temple day and night, night and day. That's just what you do in the Bible, right? But no, I mean, this is a real person, really took place in time, and these are real struggles that she would have faced. Must have been devastating for a young lady. Maybe so much so that she never wanted to get married again say that there's, there's never anyone that, that could fill the void as a husband. You know, um, if Nicholas Sparks were writing this story, I mean, maybe he would interject somebody, some handsome hero that would come in and, and save the day, some type of kinsman redeemer. But you know, Nicholas Sparks isn't writing this story. This is God's story written out, God's plan, and, and you're going to see that she draws close into Jesus. You say, well, Jesus wasn't on the earth yet. No, but she draws close to God and she's awaiting the Messiah. Like she puts all her hope in him. You know, I've been married eight years to my wife, Curry, and eight wonderful years, okay? She's fantastic. And, and I absolutely love being married um, to my wife. And, and man, we've had, I mean, just this past year, I mean, so many amazing things took place. And, you know, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I think tomorrow and not to get, you know, too serious in the middle here, but December 29th, that's two months ago since kind of got flipped over in a ditch and realized, wow, like life get in today kind of thing. And I look and go, wow, I mean, it doesn't seem that long. I mean, eight years, I mean, it's just like that. And so, I mean, for her, seven years, Anna, you know, it must have gone just like that compared to 
the rest of her life. And so I really want you to see this. This was a gal that I'm sure was hurting greatly, had great pain. I mean, it's not like she loses her husband and then, oh, all is well. I'm just going to go worship the Lord the rest of my life and that's it. No, I'm, I'm sure there were great struggles and where she wasn't filled with joy at first. That the happiness that maybe she had, she felt like maybe she could never get back. We don't know. We're not given that information in the short little paragraph of her life. So how did she respond? You know, again, as we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 5 and 6, she could have responded in the natural sense and lived a life of self-indulgence. I mean, she could have. I mean, I'm sure she had family and friends that surrounded her and said, it's okay. It's okay to be angry at God. It's okay to be frustrated. You know, and, and it's tough grieving. Many of us in this room have, have grieved in one way or another over the loss of a loved one. You know, but this young woman, her dreams have been crushed. Her future destroyed. Maybe the purpose for living seemed meaningless. She had to wrestle through all of this at the loss of her husband and, and future family. But she didn't respond that way. And that's why we come to Scripture for hope. You know, because we can go to people in the world and listen to the people in the world who live a life of self-indulgence, and we can look to God and we can become angry and frustrated with God as if God maybe doesn't know what He's doing or God is unfair in His doing. But she responds in the Spirit by placing her faith and hope in God. You know, after the storm blew through of losing her husband, and took all she had, she was still left standing. She still had hope. Her life was firmly rooted in the word of the Lord. She was waiting for what God would provide for her. So just a few things that we see. One, credence. It was trust and acceptance. The reason we tend to doubt God is because we do not trust him or want to accept his word. And so, we doubt because of a lack of trust. You know, she had credence. She had trust. She accepted God's word. And then she believed that the Messiah would come. So this credence produced patience to wait. Tell that to my children all the time. What, my son, what, is, what does patience mean? It means to wait. To wait. And it covered decades of night and day praying and fasting, abiding in God's love, being at the temple day after day after day, calling upon the Lord, fasting before Him. We see in the Psalms, I waited patiently upon the Lord. David writes, Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Her heart took courage. She could have been crushed and she could have lived the rest of her life in self-indulgence. Meaning she could have lived the rest of her life and felt sorry for herself. All of us are challenged with that. To, to at some point feel sorry for ourselves. But think about that. When we begin to feel sorry for ourselves, then that means we believe that something has happened to us that's just unfair, that's not right. But when we submit ourselves fully to God and His will, then we trust that whatever He does in leading in our lives 
is right. There's no room for self-indulgence. So she's patient. She has courage. This patience leads to endurance. Night and day corresponds well to the Jewish reckoning of time since a day began at sunset. So it's best to interpret that she was there all day long. I mean, she was in the church house all day, every day. Whenever the doors were open, there she was. She saw great value in being there. Whatever she was allowed to do in the temple, she did. So from either 64 years the rest of her life or 84 years, she endured. She endured through that time. Simeon was promised by the Spirit that he would see the promised Messiah. Anna probably thought, hey, if I keep persevering, if I keep remaining close to the Lord, I too will see the Messiah in the day in which he's presented. You know, it's hard for us to spend any amount of time in prayer faithfully. I mean, you encourage somebody to pray 15 minutes, and you go, wow, how 15, like, consistently, like, praying 15 minutes? Like, can I pause in that time? I mean, 15 minutes, I mean, Think about Anna, night and day praying before the Lord. This wasn't ritual, this was relationship. See, if it's ritual for us, then we go, really? Like that long relationship, you get caught up in it. You ever been with somebody, you know, just hanging out with somebody and enjoyed their fellowship and you lost all track of time? You go, wow, I didn't know that 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 many hours had passed. Or, or, wow, I better get home. I'm going to get in trouble if I don't get home. Teenagers, you know, hanging out with your friends and you're just having a good time and you enjoy that fellowship. Well, when you abide in Christ, when you come into this fellowship, you can lose track of time. But it's interesting that we keep hold of time when we come to meet with the Lord, right? I mean, we know. I'm, I'm on a time frame here, right? I mean, from this point to this point, we got to wrap things up. I understand because we got to eat, right? It has nothing to do with self-indulgence, nothing at all, <laughs> right? Oh, just stab us in the heart, okay? So, but no, I mean, we, we keep track of time. We do. And, and when it comes to our personal devotion, our personal time with the Lord, I mean, just the time that we set aside, I mean, we, we, we keep it on time. And, and understand, that's our culture. We're very much on the clock. But what if you got so caught up with being with the Lord that you stopped taking notice of time? What if you lived your rest of your life just in total devotion to Him, being filled with joy? That was Anna. She was filled with joy. I mean, time, what was that? I mean, it was about a relationship, being with him. She was waiting for Christ to come, and her hope in God was enough. I mean, it was enough. Like, her hope that she put in God, knowing that God keeps his promises. Because answer this question, has God ever failed you? I mean, has God ever been wrong? No. And yet there's this temptation that we feel like tomorrow, for the first time ever in eternity, that God's going to be wrong. No, God's never been wrong. He's never failed. And, And we have hope in him that he holds to his promises. And this was enough for her. She was someone who longed to be in the presence of God, praying night and day. Again, not based on ritual, but relationship, built on promise, on God's word. You know, she could have, at a young age, age 20, she could have been arranged to to marry again. I mean, she could have been remarried, and this would have been okay. Like, actually, nothing wrong with that. Like, very biblical, holding to God's word. 
I mean, the covenant she had with her husband was now no longer. They were separated by death. And so she was free to remarry. That would have been okay, but she didn't remarry. The rest of her days were consumed with drawing closer to the Father. And this is where I want to pause and say, and it was not a waste of her time. We like to look at this and say, she's not normal. (laughs) That's just not normal. I mean, isn't she kind of a hyper-spiritual person? You know, you meet some of these people who pray all the time, who talk about Jesus all the time, and you go, they're just not normal. You know, they're different. They're very spiritual. Uh, They don't live on planet Earth, okay? Um, You know, they're just a little too spiritual for me. What do we mean by that? I mean, either we mean that somebody is pretty uh, fanatical. I mean, they, they can kind of go extreme and, and off the word, okay, kind of live in some spiritual twilight zone and, and do some things that aren't scriptural, okay, and we say maybe that's what we mean, or we mean that this person really loves Jesus, and when I'm around them, their love for Jesus completely overrides my love for Jesus, and it makes me uncomfortable. You have Christian friends that you don't feel comfortable talking about Jesus, Like, there's only so much that you can talk about Jesus before you say, okay, that's enough Christian talk. I mean, I'm talking about Christian friends that you have. The reason I know you have them is because I have them too. They're all around. It's it's our culture. You know, there's certain times when you talk about Jesus, and let's not have too much Jesus talk. But I'm sure if you hung out with Anna, you would hear a lot of God talk. I mean, she loved the Lord. And so that's what she spoke of. That's what she taught. That's what she lived. She was not normal. So you're right. If we're looking at her and going, Brian, if you expect us to live our lives with such devotion, that's not normal. And you know what? You got an A-plus on that. She was not normal. This is not a normal response to tragedy. A normal response would question God's character and love, to believe that God was mistaken or unjust, to, to have doubt. Doubt is the enemy of faith, and fear is the enemy of joy. Catch that? Doubt is the enemy of faith, and fear is the enemy of joy. It's not normal behavior for us as children of the first Adam to display faith and joy of our own accord. That's not normal. You're right. You ask the average person what they want most out of life, and his or her response will be happiness. I just want happiness, health. Those are the things I want out of life. I mean, if we did a survey, I mean, before this message, and I could have sent it out there, I guarantee you, we would have gotten some of those responses. Happiness. Happiness for my family. I just want my kids to be happy. I just want my friends to be happy. I just want to be healthy and happy. Okay? But if we look in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, you know, when Jesus rose to be seated at the right hand of the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit then at Pentecost, and then the Holy Spirit has remained in the believers until that time. And so we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And there's the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5, 16. So the Spirit lives and abides in us, teaching us what to do, what not to do, and what to prepare for, Right? Why do we have to have the Spirit? See, if there was anything in us of value, then we would become a Christ follower and then follow Him. But 
God knows that as we trust in what Jesus did on the cross, although that is final and complete, we're still here on this earth. And so he has to intervene in our lives, and he did so by giving us the Spirit to teach us, to guide us in our lives. And this Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know something that's not on that list? Happiness. Happiness is not on that list. You say, well, joy is, but I don't believe that joy and happiness are the same thing. We can get them confused, kind of mesh them together at times, like two different colors of Play-Doh. But no, they mean two different things. You see, the difference between I want to be happy and I want to be filled with joy, happiness is about me being satisfied. I want to be happy. So what do you measure that by? When you're satisfied. When whatever it is that needs to take place for you to be satisfied, then you're happy then I'm happy. Joy is about him being glorified. Meaning that you can be happy as long as circumstances are favorable to you and you're satisfied. But when those circumstances change, you're no longer happy. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. Joy means that you can have joy in the good and the bad. Because in the good and the bad, you can glorify God. You get it? We're to be filled with joy not happiness. If you're looking for a good devotional, my utmost first highest, it's next year by Oswald Chambers. Probably many of you have peeked at that book before. Maybe you've read through it. It's a great devotional. And it's a, it's a compilation of just devotions that Oswald Chambers wrote together. This is what I love about this book. He didn't, he didn't publish it and say, man, how can we brand this? You know, how can we just put this in many different forms and make t-shirts and pens and, and everything else too? No, he didn't do that. He wrote these devotionals and it was collected by his wife after he died at a young age. And so what you're reading is a young man who loved Jesus and his goal was his utmost for God's highest. That's joy. My utmost for his highest. And so I, I recommend that book to you. Maybe you want to jot that down. You can get it at your local Christian bookstore. My utmost verse highest, and, and it's good. It's short devotionals. You read it, and then it helps to spur you on in your daily reading in the Bible as well. My utmost verse highest. We are commanded to have joy. Understand, commanded, not suggested. Commanded to have joy. It's a command because we prefer to live in a world that revolves around us. We live in a world that's about happiness, that's about fluff. Joy focuses our attention on Jesus, and everything in our life revolves around Him. J-O-Y. Let me just give you a look into joy that will never be the same again when you look at it. The other day I was riding home, and it was dark time, and somebody had joy written, you know, in, in Christmas lights. It was up, and, and I saw this, and I'll never see the word joy at, the same again. If you want to understand joy of what we're talking about today, it's Jesus first. Then others, then you. Joy. That's how you live your life. Jesus, others, you. In that order. You want happiness? Turn it around. You, others, Jesus. But we're talking about joy. Joy is putting Christ First, in all things. And for Anna, 
her life from, from a young age seeming to be destroyed? No, she took hope in God. And she drew close to Him. It's a command to have joy. Jesus first, then others, then you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love others as you love yourself. The two greatest commands. But joy is what, Paul, or what James writes about joy in James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So take joy in tragedies of trials of various kinds. That's a hard teaching. This is why you must die to yourself and follow Jesus to live by something like that. You see, you grow. As followers of Christ, you grow through tragedy and sickness and pain and loneliness and heartbreak. You don't have to draw away from the Lord in those times, Christian. You can grow in those times by abiding in Him. What trials are you facing right now? What's going on in your life right now that you can either self-indulge or you can have joy? So a couple things just to take note of here. One, take joy in your sanctification because that's what we're talking about, the sanctified life. You grow through these trials. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The church, we need to rejoice more. Amen? See, exactly. (laughs) We need to rejoice more. I mean, just coming together and rejoicing because of Christ. I mean, greeting each other with joy. This is what... Paul is telling the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Just a show of hands. Who's been anxious in the past month here? Okay, amen, amen. Got truth all throughout the room. There we go. We've been anxious. Yeah. But the command is, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, you say, I just don't know what to pray about. Like, what, what do you pray about? In everything, be prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This comes through prayer. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Joy. All mixed in there. Joy. When you think about these things, and that was Anna. What did she do? She drew to the Lord. And she was thinking about the things which were true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. These were the things she thought about. That's how she advanced through her tragedy. 
That's how we can be filled with joy. We set our mind to these things. Again, your mind can only be set to these things as you have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Unbroken or if you've read the book Unbroken. Powerful, powerful story um, about um, two guys who were captured um, in war. They were captured by the Japanese and they had been out on the water for 47 days. They survived a plane crash. 47 days fighting off sharks and being shot at. And finally, when they were rescued, they were rescued by the enemy and they were put in a prisoner of war camp. Well, while they were out on the water, there seemed to be a, a ferocious storm, and, and this is how the movie portrayed it. And lead character, um, he called upon the Lord and he said, if you'll just get us through this, anything, I, I, will, I will trust in you. And, you know, later, after being a POW and coming back home, he was filled with such frustration and bitterness at the one in the camp who constantly called him out and beat him that he wanted to go back and kill that guy. Even when it was peace, he, he wanted to go back and kill him. But then Christ intervened in his life and changed him. In a heart that was so bitter, he now had a heart of forgiveness, a heart of joy. And he was able to go back and meet all of those in the camp except that one man who beat him. That, that man never wanted to meet him face-to-face again. But he said, you know, while I was out on that raft and, 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 and when I prayed, he said, you know, looking back on it, there was no way I could have upheld that end of the deal because I was lost in my sins. I couldn't. I could make promises all I wanted to, but I would keep failing him. And so as we're talking about growing in, in sanctification and, and thinking of things that honor the Lord, your mindset being on Him, it only happens when you submit yourself fully to Christ. It cannot be done in your own strength. I mean, you can make all the promises you want to. You can try as hard as you want to, but you're going to fall short. So as we grow in joy, we grow in sanctification, which means we grow in drawing closer to the Lord and sinning less. You see, we prefer to skip from mountaintop to mountaintop, ever escaping the valleys and plateaus, right? I mean, if every day could just be a spiritual high, like that one camp experience that we had, you know, if we could just go from mountaintop to mountaintop, everything would be good. Why do we have to go to the valleys? Why do we have to plateau at times? So that we can have joy in those moments as well. So the second thing is take joy in your source which is the Lord. Your identity. I'm sure Anna struggled with her identity once she lost her husband, but from the paragraph we have to observe, she appears to have found her identity in God. How do you find your identity? Is it in your circumstances? As long as things are good, you feel good about you. But when things are bad, you feel really bad about you. But if your identity is in Christ, whether good or bad, there's joy People, maybe you find your identity in people and what they think about you and how they evaluate you and things they say about you. And as long as people are saying kind things to you and think good things about your leadership or who you are as a person, you're good. Everything's grand. But the moment somebody comes with some criticism against you, you're crushed. What does that expose? That you're finding your identity in people. Oh, that's, that's not the life to live. That's an up and down roller coaster to find your identity in people. People will fail you because you will fail people. We fail each other. 
we fall short. But no, find your identity in Christ. This is the work of your sanctification, drawing closer to him as he brings you closer to the Father. And Anna draws close to the Lord in the temple, and we too can draw close to him. Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You know, she could have said, how can there ever be another morning, much less a morning filled with joy after such great loss? Maybe we have said that. How can there be another day after the loss that I have occurred? Joy is delighting in Jesus even when nothing else seems delightful. You're going to have those days when nothing seems delightful. But we can always rejoice in Christ. There's never a day that we encounter, never a moment, never a minute, never a second that we cannot rejoice in Christ. may not be delightful around you, but you can delight in Christ at all times. Doesn't mean you'll have a smile on your face. Doesn't mean you have to be fake. We're not talking about fake Christianity. Let's put our smiles on because we're good at deking each other out, right? I mean, we can make each other think that everything's good in our household just by the smiles we put on our faces when we walk out of our cars and walk into this room. But oh, to spend time with you in your car on the way home from church. That's the real you, right? I'm saying, I mean, it's when it all comes out. That's when... We meet the real you. You can rejoice in Christ always. You know, Anna experienced great loss, but she embraced her greatest gain in the love of God. Grace. She was waiting for Christ to come. The rest of her life, she spent praying and in communion with the Lord and teaching Him his commands, teaching what she learned in her time with the Lord. She was waiting for Jesus to come. And one day, he was there. He was there. She could see him with her eyes. She could touch him. She could behold the Messiah right there. All this communion she had, praying and not seeing, praying and not seeing, praying and not seeing, but having this fellowship, this joy, this drawing close, delighting in the Lord, and then all of a sudden, there he is. One day, through all the days of your life, night and day of praying and seeking him every day, on and on, reading his word, God, I do not see you, but God, I trust you. God, nothing is delightful around me, but I trust that you are going to come, and then one day, Christ returns. He's coming back. It's not some fairy tale. It's the truth of God's word. The truth that he created the world and that he sent a son into the world and that he rose to go and be up with the Father is the same truth that he's coming back for his church, his bride, and whom he will take with him up into heaven, who will be glorified, and we will live through all of eternity. Through that, we rejoice. We rejoice. That's joy. That's joy. That's how you look your circumstances right in the face and you still say, 
delight and rejoice in Christ. That's it. In closing, may our days be consumed with Jesus, drawing closer to him through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And you might say, well, if I had a temple to go to, to devote my time, my life to, then I could do it. But don't you realize that we don't worship in a physical temple made with brick, but we are the temple in which the Spirit of God resides? You have a more intimate closer fellowship. The opportunity is right there, Christian, to draw close to the Lord. It's not in a physical building. He lives in you. That ought to forever change your life, Christian. So I love this part at the end. We could read right over this, and you know, there's a very good chance that you've read the Christmas story, and you've read right over Anna over and over again, right right over Grace over and over again. It's easy to happen because there's so much to learn in the Bible. Understandable. But verse 38, you could easily read over this. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So those who she taught with, talked with and, and taught, they come up and she begins to tell them about Jesus immediately. Do you see her immediate response? It's joy. When you have joy in your heart, you delight in Christ, you can't help but go tell others about him. You know, we began the year talking about the 12, and somewhere in the middle of the year I brought a reminder, and just a confession, I should have reminded you more, church, to go after the 12. But I hope you remember the 12 of which we speak of not just a literal number, but we said that there would be at least 12 people this year that we would tell about Jesus, that we would invite to church to come and worship, to come and rejoice, that they too may have joy. Have you forgotten about the 12? See, the command is for you to be filled with joy. And as you're filled with joy, no matter what you face, You can still have joy in that moment and you can still look to Christ. There are so many people around you that do not have joy. They are lost in their sins. They think happiness is the cure. They need to know that joy in Christ is the cure. May we finish strong this year and may we start fast next year in reaching the 12. The people around you, the people you will see today, will you so dare to tell them about Jesus with such joy and rejoicing. Are you filled with joy? Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together. God, I love you. I'm so grateful for the joy in Christ. God, you know that I am a wretched, wretched person. God, you know my thoughts. You know my intentions. You know the things I struggle with. Lord, I seek after happiness so many times when I should be seeking joy. I thank you for this word. I pray that it would penetrate our hearts. God, I pray for the lost people in this room. Their hope, 
They don't have hope without you. If they were to die today, they would be separated from you for eternity. There would be eternal punishment and separation. There's no joy ever to be received. Father, I pray that today they have heard your word through the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, that they would die to themselves and follow you. Speaking to you guys in the room, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, call upon him. Call upon him as Savior right now. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I trust in what you did for me on the cross. I am a sinner in need of your grace, God. Call upon him. Repent. You cannot stand before God in your sin. You must stand before him, redeemed by Jesus. And what he did on the cross was final. If you trust in him, you can know with great assurance that all of your sins have been paid for. But you trust in Jesus today. If today you're repenting, you're calling upon the Lord, come, come talk to us, come tell us. Hey, today I'm following Jesus for the first time. We'll be standing right in the back, myself and other pastors and counselors right here waiting to meet you. Let us talk together about following Jesus. Church, are you filled with joy? I will let you at this time be led by the Holy Spirit in how you worship, how you call upon Him. If whatever in this message it's hit your heart. You take it to the Lord. Father, I ask now as we continue to worship, oh, may we rejoice as the church. May we rejoice, God. We're so laden down with burdens that it's so hard to, to rejoice at the excitement. Nothing fake, but genuine. Lord, may we be a, a a church that has genuine joy, that rejoices in salvation. May our hope in you be enough. God, work among us in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.